The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies. Once again, here for another week with American Horror Story 1984, episode uh, 8. This is not the finale. I don't know where I got it in my silly head. Of course, they would have done some kind of fanfare or something bigger than nothing for their finale uh or for their uh second to last episode uh so next week is going to be the finale next thursday i'll be putting out uh an episode of letting you know about what i thought about the finale and about the show in general uh which is good because this is just getting good this episode uh episode eight i don't have the subtitle in front of me but uh if you just saw it like i did you probably have a lot of questions so let's just get right into it with my first segment what the hell just happened? So on the day before Halloween 1989, I don't remember the flyers specifying that the, uh, f- uh, bleh, what is it? The, 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 not the carnival, the, the, God, where's the word? The, uh, festival, the festival, the festival one day before. I don't remember if the festival poster made it clear that it was on Halloween. Maybe it did, and I just don't remember. I mean, God, I couldn't even remember the word festival, so don't don't hold my feet to the fire. It's one day before Halloween 1989, and Montana and Brooke are at a diner where they meet a new character, whose name we learn later is Stacy. Uh, she's a reporter who works for the National Enquirer, but really she's a writer, and she likes writing books. Uh, lately, she's done books about serial killers, because she very astutely notes that uh, the 70s were most Mostly about supernatural monsters, Bigfoot, uh, Loch Ness Monster, whereas the 80s are about human monsters, serial killers. Uh, I really like her analysis. I, I feel like we would have a lot in common, but alas, I don't think we'll get to see much of her anymore. Spoiler alert. Jonas uh, gets picked up by Bruce on the road, which is funny because he's a hitchhiker and Bruce uh, has a soft spot for hitchhikers. And that's where we learn how Bruce got away. He killed a, or he got a Mary Kay salesperson to pick him up on the side of the road. He didn't do anything. It was just the first person who showed him any pity. He immediately stuffed into their own trunk. That just goes to show you, don't I said it last episode, I'll say it again, hitchhikers, anything to do with hitchhikers on either end, either getting in the car or driving the car, uh-uh. <laughs> always a bad idea, uh, so the, so she's making noise in the trunk, uh, Bruce goes back there and stabs her in the chest, God, it's so horrible, she just wants to, she just wants to live, and uh, Jonas runs off. So back at the tour bus where, uh, if you recall, Kasha Gugu and his whole entourage was slain and left there for Courtney to stumble upon. Poor little Courtney, who we learn has been Margaret Booth's assistant for four years, uh, <laughs> is tasked with uh, cleaning up all of these dead bodies and chopping them up. So he does, and sure enough, they're not alive, but they're around the corner playing together as ghosts because they died here at Camp Redwood. Uh, closer, uh, never been closer, and uh, that's when we see the Night Stalker hit up one of the roadies. Uh, 
And we get this nice moment where the roadie holds open Billy's rings, uh, like his box of rings that he has. And as the Night Stalker reaches for it, the roadie snaps it shut from like uh, Sandra Bullock uh, in Pretty Woman. Uh, and like Richard Gere holding open the uh, the box for Sandra Bullock and then snapping it shut. Only Night Stalker doesn't uh, laugh in this scene, but he does get he does score a guitar pick. That roadie was really nice, and he uh, is playing some guitar in the woods and he gets tackled by Mister Jingles. And he we learn here that the Night Stalker the Night Stalker admits that he is in fact the one who uh, killed his wife, uh, Mister Jingles' new wife. Just like most of us thought, just like we thought. Uh, and then they start fighting. They get in a fight. And before anything cool can happen, <laughs> Jingles gets hit by the pink car Bruce was driving. And now Bruce and the Night Stalker meet. And it's really creepy, interesting, the way the uh, the Night Stalker and Bruce, like, talk to each other and haven't caught, like, uh, it, it's weird. It's a lot like being interested in a uh like fringe thing or a subculture or once upon a time being gay and finding another person who's like like oh you're doing you're doing this too this this like niche tiny thing that that everyone thinks is weird you're 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 a cyclist too (laughs) i'm not uh equating cyclists and serial murderers but it's cool to find someone who's into your hobby and uh, Bruce exemplifies that here. He tells him that uh, he's he's a huge fan. And, uh, oh, let me help you hunt down this other guy. Uh, it's the least I could do. And the Night Stalker's like, this isn't some chick. I'm hunting big game. You know Mr. Jingles? He's like, oh, yeah, he's a legend. Is that who that was? Uh, just this, like, small circle of serial killers in this show. Uh, all having mutual respect for each other. Uh, is really cute. <laughs> it's funny. But uh, in, a, in a horrible way because it's... I'm pretty sure that's how it is in real life. I'm pretty sure a lot of serial killers look to other serial killers as, like, uh, high scores, which is a terrible thing. Lives aren't games, people. And so the Night Stalker does a satanic blood ritual right in front of Bruce, and it seems like Bruce was going to say something, and maybe he did at some point, and the scene was cut, uh, edited short. It's interesting. But we see Donna and Brooke in a hotel, and the reporter knocks on their door. Stacy from earlier says, I know who you are, both of you. And they're like, how? She says, come on to my room. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on over. So they go to her room, and they learn that she's been studying the Redwood Massacres for the last three years. She knows Donna and Brooke super well, and she's writing a book, and she just wants to know why. She wants more information on what the connection is between them and who they are. And Brooke says, uh, well, it's revenge. And she explains to Donna that there's no way she's going to let us go unless we give her an even bigger story. So she makes a deal. Brooke tells Stacy, the reporter, that we'll tell you everything in ex- if you let us go and you never reveal our names or tell anybody that I'm still alive. Uh, and she's like, okay, that seems fair. So they go off to... Uh, so she, she's like, what's your angle? And Brooke says, Jingles didn't kill all those people in the 70s. And I didn't either, except for Montana in self-defense. It was Margaret Booth. Wham! Then Jingles wakes up in the woods, because I forgot. I was like, oh, he died just then when he got hit by the car. But I was like, oh, no, wait, I forgot. The big ending for the last episode was him killing himself. 
uh, and pulling his knife out of his, out of his own body. So no, he was already dead. So he's waking up from like his second death, which is made further confusing when Jonas says it gets better. The first time always feels the worst. This wasn't his first time. Although I guess if you don't count that first death as your first time, because he's like, I felt everything, the pain, the fear, the sudden disconnection with everything. Uh, and Jonas is like, it's like drifting through space forever. And, uh, this is where the Night Stalker gets even more conviction. I can't, I can take the pain, but I can't forget why I'm here. I can't let my son down. Ramirez has to die. Uh, and then we see Montana and Trevor, which is a fun, like, I think we've, we've only had a couple of, uh, you know, they're not sex scenes. They're more like after sex scenes where people are just hanging out, uh, <laughs> getting dressed, uh, in various stages. And it's always, it's both, the first time was between Ray and Brooke, and this time was between Montana and Trevor. So it's interesting that each time characters have had sex with each other, it's been with a ghost. Uh, or, yeah, a ghost. I'm going to call them ghosts here. So Montana and Trevor just finished up, and they're having some afterglow smokes. And uh, Montana says something really cool. She says, you feel fleeting, fleeting pleasure and uh, joy and blah, blah, blah. But the only feeling that lasts is a constant longing to be alive, to be dead, to be anything but stuck here. I love that. It sounds because, like, you look at this, and of course, there's the perspective of, like, oh my gosh, you get to live forever and you get to do whatever you want here, and there's no consequences, and you never age and you're young forever. But no, obviously, there are some major downsides. Uh, and so her plan is, she reiterates her plan to kill everybody, and hopefully that'll bring some publicity and someone who can save them from this curse, uh, or at the very least, some interesting conversation. And Trevor lays it all out that uh, he doesn't think... The, basically, this, this scene is setting up that Montana and Trevor uh, are a potential couple. They could be. They uh, Trevor could die, and he loves her because... The 80s are over, but Montana, you're 80s forever, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time Trevor says I love you to Montana, so they smooch big time, and Mon uh, Margaret Booth sees Montana and Trevor as they're exiting that cabin that they were canoodling in. Then we see Bruce and Night Stalker in the woods. They're looking for Mr. Jingle's body, and uh, Mr. Uh, Night Stalker explains to Bruce why he's got such a vendetta against Mr. Jingle's, because... Mr. Jingles betrayed him and got him caught and thrown in prison. And then Xavier's like, I know exactly how you feel. And they're like, who are you? And he says, another one of Jingles' victims. Follow me. And I, this part is weird. His body, Mr. Jingles' body is being uncovered like it was buried, like, not, yeah, like kind of deep in the ground. But his body was over at the, the, the lake, uh, at the dock. So did Mr. Jingles bury himself? That's, uh, I guess, uh, something I should say for Mystery LLC, but uh, yeah, I don't know how his body ended up over there. Um, maybe he buried himself, but uh, it's funny that apparently once your body's uncovered, you always come running back, uh, as Xavier explains, like maybe to hold on to your last tether to life or whatever was left. It's interesting, but Mr. Jingle's body's uncovered, and uh, he shows up and stabs Xavier, <laughs> uh, which I think is, like, the first ghost death. I, I had to be reminded that, like, oh, ghosts can, like, full-on die, because he full-on dies and just, like, rolls away. <laughs> and then it's the Night Stalker and Bruce and Mr. Jingle's here, and uh, 
Jingles kind of like explains to the Night Stalker. Uh, yeah, he explains to the Night Stalker that he killed himself, and uh, the Night Stalker is like, "Oh, you killed yourself to beat me. That took a lot of balls, a lot of balls, but a lot of not a lot of brains. Because now you can't leave, so I'm out of here. I'm going to Alaska, and I'm going to kill your son. Killing your son will be my final revenge." And uh, as Mister Jingles is like, "I won't let you leave," Margaret Booth shoots him in the head, and he's down. <laughs> Uh, and Night Stalker's like he's with, uh, Margaret Booth wonders who, uh, Bruce is. Night Stalker says he's with me. Uh, and Bruce is like, you two know each other? Margaret Booth and the Night Stalker apparently know each other? They have a history? It's literally one line. She says, uh, we've had a mutual admiration and a deep sexual attraction. God, is Margaret Booth just, (laughs) yeah, so, uh, I guess she's, been with him or maybe maybe I, I have no idea what the relationship is but they've apparently met before they know each other it's weird and that's where she like hints that she has a plan we finally get a hint at some giant overarching plan for this festival besides just chintzing everybody out of their money and that's when we go back to Donna Brooke and the reporter Stacy at the cabin that Donna uh, originally when she horse tranquilized Brooke uh, tied her up in it's uh, she she Brooke tells her story and uh, Stacy doesn't really believe her and she says you don't believe me and Stacy says it doesn't matter this is your story told from your point of view whatever you say is right is right um, I work for the Enquirer and my motto is never let the facts get in the way of the truth and never let the truth get in the way of a story that sells <laughs> and that's when Brooke decides okay we got to kill her we got to kill this reporter uh, meanwhile. Margaret Booth, the Night Stalker, and Bruce are watching Brooke, Donna, and Stacy uh, walk away. Jingles is tied to a tree where the Council of the Dead, I forgot what I called them last time, but uh, Montana and the rest of the ghosts, Xavier, Ray, Chet, uh, the copycat Jingles, some of the counselors from 1970s, this group, uh, they call them out on saying, you had a chance to ask your creepy-ass mom to stop, and you couldn't even do that, so... Uh, now we got now we're gonna torture you and uh he's pleading with them it's it's a pretty great scene where he's telling them like please just let me kill the night stalker and they're like no way if he dies here he stays here and he's a dick uh we're all innocent too my son's gonna die uh why take everything that was taken from you from him and montana says ramirez doesn't kill kids and he's like oh yeah yeah he does he kills kids he kills old people he doesn't care He told me about you, how you seduced him, and how you used him to kill for you. He's accusing Montana of making the Night Stalker. That that night when uh, Richard Ramirez walked into that aerobic studio and saw Montana, and she got mad at um, What's-His-Face for for, uh, yelling about the music, that was... Her, that was Montana communicating to Richard Ramirez to kill. And then he, he might have walked into the aerobics studio uh, as Richard Ramirez, but he walked out as the Night Stalker. And it's all because of Margaret Booth. I mean, all because of uh, Montana is what the Night Stalker is positing here. And it hits Montana hard. She start, She finally starts crying. She finally starts feeling for any of this uh, craziness that's been happening. And then we go to Brooke's cabin. Where oh well, I mean uh oh okay so before I I, I said that we were uh, at the cabin that Monta- that 
Donna had originally locked Brooke up in, but I was wrong. We're at there now. Before, we were somewhere else. <laughs> now, we're at the cabin that Donna locked Brooke in originally. Brooke's about to kill Stacy, and Donna saves her. Donna saves Stacy and is like, bitch, run. <laughs> so she does. She books it. And Donna, once again, reiterates her, like, uh, character, which is there's evil inside you. It's in us all. It's dormant and waiting. I learned that from my father. It grows in us like a cancer if we feed it what it wants, our hatred and anger. That's all Margaret Booth is. Same with Mr. Jingles. And she believes one righteous act of revenge. If they can do that without hurting another soul, it'll wash away all the other shit they ever did about that it's uh, it doesn't quite line up with uh trevor's line of thinking for example who says that like we can all change in a little bit anyway stacy hightailed it she's running and she gets stabbed by the night stalker and bruce and it's a it's a shame but margaret booth lays out her plan here she says uh jim morrison's grave the archway at the dakota where john legend was shot graceland people flock to these places to feel a connection to the artists they love i feel like she's <laughs> she's making some like uh dubious connections between the the like death and the macabreness and the the location like graceland do do people go there because that's where where uh, elvis died did he die there I, I i agree with margaret booth's larger point here which is that places that uh were very important or very influential in a musician's life become these hubs for uh fans of those musicians but not necessarily where they died i guess i guess jim morrison's grave is that is a, is a popular one but even that one's not where he died it's just his grave this is going to be so her plan is we're going to kill Every artist who plays at this festival, Flock of Seagulls, the Go-Go's, others. <laughs> she says, Camp Red, I'm going to make Camp Redwood the mecca for 80s music memoriam, and I'm going to make a fortune. Oh, boy. So Trevor finds Montana, who apparently went running crying uh, through the woods, and he explains to her, what if I stay here and don't grow old? And she says, do you want to die here? He's like, yeah, I'm going to kill myself. It's a really interesting inversion where a character is confiding in another that, yeah, I'm going to kill myself. And it's a really positive thing. And it's not, they're not like depressed. They're, they're not, or they're like, even, even a depressed person might say, I'm going to kill myself with the same tone. This has all of the context of American Horror Story 1984 to uh, let us know that he truly thinks this is a fun great idea to to have an adventure a different adventure for the rest of time not even the rest of your life for eternity for all he knows and uh she montana's not in a good place to have this conversation right now it's so god this scene i don't know if it's the editing or the performance or the uh <laughs> the uh the script, like the way it's written, the words they use, but geez, she goes from zero to ten. First she says, that's stupid, you don't love me, I'm not someone who can be loved, I'm a monster, which already is so teenage. I love you, and I'm going to do an amazing act of uh, love for you. You're crazy, you don't love me, how could I be loved? I'm not beautiful, I'm not lovable. And uh, she explains it has nothing to do with her looks, it's in fact... My ex, she's like, how could you say that? My ex-boyfriend is Richard Ramirez. And uh, he says, what? And she immediately goes zero to 10. She goes, wow, I can't believe you. I see the way you look at me now. 
Like, look at you. He hasn't had a chance to process. Of course, he's going to have a knee-jerk reaction to you saying that your ex-boyfriend is the Night Stalker. Like, give him give him a chance to breathe. Like, we're, we're having a conversation here, but but she she flies off the handle right away. And I don't I don't want to use these kinds of words like 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 she, she's just she is um, understandably very emotional at the moment. But she's like, oh, men get to do heinous shit all the time, and they're treated like rock stars, and they get books and movies written about them. But somehow it's the mommy's fault for not loving them, or the wife for leaving them, or the girlfriend for rejecting them. Why are we always the scapegoat for men to do a evil shit? And she raises a good point about 80s horror, and maybe even like uh, just... Movies and TV in general, that and even like uh, nonfiction and fiction, just narrative that there is a perpetuance of females having the agency to instigate male characters' story arcs, but never actually being uh, having their own told. There are tools and uh, like hand grips for the main character who is most definitely male to uh, develop themselves, but otherwise uh, they're, they're supporting characters. Or at the very, at the very best, they are uh, <laughs> influencing, like in horror, in horror movie examples, at the very best, they uh, are the reason for the horror, the serial killer being evil. Uh, Norman Bates, Jason Voorhees, uh, there's, there's, there's other examples that I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, uh, Sleepaway Camp, whatever the main, the, the monster's, the person's name, oh, good God, not monster, they were, they were a person, they were a mentally ill person, and it was an absolute shame, but, but that person, uh, I'm pretty sure their mom is to blame. Yeah, it's a, it's a common thing, but I run, ah, that, that one's a mess, I'm not gonna touch Sleepaway Camp. So she says, yeah, I'm irredeemable. Uh, I killed as many people as Richard Ramirez at this point, so I get it. I, I don't deserve to be happy. And uh, Trevor says, anything you've done in the past doesn't mean you can't, do it. you can't stop doing it in the future. We can all change. I like that sentiment. I like the idea of giving people second chances within reason. Then we cut to Jingles on the dock, and uh, he's like, you're not killing me, you're killing an innocent baby, and they don't care. Xavier, uh, the copycat Jingles, starts stabbing him, and instead of killing him, Xavier says, let him bleed out slowly, think about what's to come, and they push him out in a canoe out onto the lake. And Jingles is floating out there on the uh, lake in that canoe, bleeding out, and he sees Montana on the shore. And then I love this, straight out of Friday the 13th with way less shock. Uh, I don't know, it's TV, maybe they didn't want to scare people. Why not? It's a show like this, why not scare people? Bobby jumps out of the water. He looks gross and like bloated and bald. Exactly, it's really great. He looks like almost exactly like Jason does at the very end of Friday the 13th when, is it a dream? Is it not? When uh, Jason jumps out of the water for one last scare. Uh, super great. And I guess he drowns him because the next scene is a picnic with Mom and Bobby. And uh, it's a nice nod to Mr. Jingles not liking crust when she says, I made sandwiches, no crust. And she says, you made the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, there's so much violence and evil in that camp. Nothing can rise above it. Just stay here. Stay with us. Uh, and he says, I lost my Bobby, but you found ours. He's with us again. 
uh, and he says, how can I, what can I, what do I do now? How can I ever rest? Cause geez, I get it. It's either rest with your mom and Bobby in this like uh, pocket dimension or, or uh, uh, another level of purgatory, whatever it is. It's clearly separate from everything else that in the camp. It's got this like glowiness and Bobby doesn't look like a shriveled raisin uh, and there's ducks and everything's nice. Um, or go back to the quote-unquote real world and get killed and tortured over and over again by kids that you killed for uh, eternity, I guess. So the very last thing is uh, uh, Bobby coming over and saying, stay with us, Benji, and nothing can ever hurt you anymore. I promise. Come play with me. And he takes his hand and he agrees, and they just go and feed some ducks. (laughs) And feeding ducks is not playing. (laughs) And that's the episode of of American Horror Story, episode 8. And next week, as I said before, we'll be getting the finale. So they showed us a little promo that unfortunately answered uh, one of my only questions uh, for Mystery LLC. So let's just get right into it. My next segment, Mystery LLC, is where I get to ask my questions for stuff that just confused me this episode and didn't make sense. But uh, let's see if any of my past questions got answered this episode. Why didn't Brooke and Donna just kill Bruce? That's not a good answer. Is Bruce an, uh, a real-life serial killer like the Night Stalker? Who knows? Uh, why did they take Margaret Booth's agency away with Mrs. Jingles? I guess not. I guess they didn't answer any of my questions from last week. So my question for this week's episode is, did Mrs. Jingles getting Bobby back lift the curse of Camp Redwood or not? I theorized that her getting Bobby back would be enough to release the spirits from their... Uh, curse or at least make it so that the next time they get killed they get to actually pass on something like that but no the answer is no because we see in the promo that there's a new character and they're messing with them they're like here shoot me dude stab me stab me and they kill themselves trevor and uh montana and then the guy runs and opens the door and they're like oh hey (laughs) it's really funny though that that promo i'm looking forward to that scene in the finale, oh, it's been a long time coming, but um, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I don't have a ton of questions. I feel like uh, things, I guess, if I had to think of any questions, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting tired. <laughs> Let's move on to screaming themies. Now, there were a lot of themes going on at play. We've uh, got a ni- we've amassed a nice collection of themes here. Promises, nature versus nurture, themes of immortality and legacy, themes of debt. One that we get hit, one that hits really hard is the theme of redemption and revenge. Let's start with redemption first. Donna and Brooke seem to think that their revenge will redeem them. I mean, Donna has done some pretty bad things in releasing Mr. Jingles. Uh, Brooke has killed Montana uh, out of self-defense and not really anybody else. But apparently they're they're they need to be redeemed. I don't I don't think so necessarily. I think they just want revenge personally. And uh, Donna is using this idea of redemption to stop Brooke from wantonly killing anyone including Stacy but instead to save all of her bloodlust for Margaret Booth so that it's at least righteous uh I don't know I don't know about that I don't know if uh k- killing for revenge is always necessarily righteous uh 
Uh, I don't know. That's that's a messy subject. Life and death. I never I never want anyone to to suffer. Is is my deal. Uh, <laughs> I just like they can they can die. I just want it to be quick and painless. Um, further to that theme of redemption is uh, the idea that Mr. Jingles wants to save his Bobby. His baby Bobby is out there in Alaska with uh, his wife's sister. I can only assume. And all Mr. Jingles wants is to save him, is to stop Richard Ramirez from being able to go to Alaska and chop him up. If he can stop Richard Ramirez... I gotta stop calling him that. If Mr. Jingles can stop the Night Stalker here at Camp Redwood, then he will be redeemed because he'll have saved a life instead of taking one like he's so used to. Uh, I like that as well. And then... The last one of Trevor saying that we can all change, that what you've done does not mean you can't stop doing that in the future. We all have the capacity for change, and that kind of comes down to the nature versus nurture theme that's prevalent throughout this uh, with Donna saying we all have an evil inside of us, and it's whether or not we feed it that makes us monsters. Uh, She seems to be on the side of nurture, Uh, with a little bit of nature, that there is nature in you, and it depends on how you nurture that nature, which uh, is an interesting take on the topic. And then, like I said, uh, Trevor is on this side of, uh, we we can all change. We all, even if we've done uh, horrible, terrible things, we can all change. I wonder what Dr. Hopple would be thinking at this point. The theme of guilt and uh, self-shame, specifically that nobody believes Brooke, rears its ugly head again. I feel like it hasn't happened in a while, but the reporter uh, doesn't necessarily believe Brooke. Stacy doesn't necessarily believe everything uh, Brooke says about what happened at Camp Redwood. Them, her explaining how she was hanging in a net as the Night Stalker and uh, Mr. Jingles fought each other. Uh, was the scene that, that I mentioned when I when I thought it was her at the uh, cabin the first time they were looking at the net. She doesn't believe her. Stacy doesn't believe Brooke when she says that. She believes Brooke believes what she believes. Um, and then the uh, further of this where more guilt and self-shame is Montana. Montana carries now carries this shroud of guilt of creating the night stalker of create of of being the the catalyst the straw that broke uh, the the camel's back to pushing richard ramirez down a path of of just reprehensible serial killing and it's her fault and she's internalized all of that and she thinks she's a monster and she thinks she's irredeemable and undeserving of love and Maybe she is. She's kind of awful. Maybe it's good that she recognized this because this is the first step to her own redemption. Oh, look at that. We tied ourselves back to three themes. Uh, Why don't we make a little, why don't we bring a little more in here with uh, revenge? As I said, Donna and Brooke intend on getting revenge, but the ghosts. The, the Council of the Dead and the ca- uh, copycat Mr. Jingles and all of the uh, f- counselors from 1970 for some reason. They all want revenge on Mr. Jingles. Okay, well, the ones who were killed by Mr. Jingles want revenge on Mr. Jingles. And then Mr. Jingles, of course, wants revenge on the Night Stalker for him killing his wife. Yeah, let's not forget that the Night Stalker was the one who killed uh, Mr. Jingles' wife uh, last episode. So there's revenge going around all over the place and uh, my final theme in screaming themies is the theme of greed well there are a lot of e's in that last sentence 
Margaret Booth's apparently her big plan to kill all the artists is ultimately to make even more money. I thought the Camp Redwood scheme was the cream of the crop, but no, she's got an even bigger scheme cooked up. Instead of looking for uh, haunted places with uh, scary backgrounds, she's going to create her own in a big way. I guess there's also those family matters themes, uh, I call them, of finding peace with your reunited family in the afterlife, even though dad's not there. Uh, Not to say that he didn't have a good relationship with his dad. It's just he's he's in heaven uh, or hell or wherever and not stuck in Camp Redwood like the rest of them. But uh, yeah, finding peace with your reunited family in the afterlife uh, doesn't sound too bad. An eternity and a nice warm picnic uh, (laughs) area. And now I can move on to my favorite quote. So there was only a couple to choose from, in my opinion. The first one is uh, when Margaret Booth says, we're going to make Camp Redwood the mecca for 80s music memoriam, and I am going to make a fortune. (laughs) But the number one winner for me this week is when the Night Stalker and Mr. Jingles, when Bruce meets Mr. Jingles for the first time after hitting him, uh, and he's like, they're standing over Mr. Jingles' body, after he kill after Mr. Jingles killed Xavier, so he, there's two Mr. Jingles to him, and he says, "How is his dead body here, and he's standing there?" Mr. Jingles says, "You stay, you die," and Bruce goes, "Fine." <laughs> he just goes, "Fine," and just walks away, walks off screen. It's great. Uh, Bruce, played by Dylan McDermott. I wasn't sure uh, who he was last episode. I knew he was familiar. And of course, of course, I should have recognized him from the first season of American Horror Story ever. Uh, Murder House. He was the the dad? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he's the dad. He's the one that's like... Uh, keep seeing the the not so sexy maid as a sexy maid. Uh, yeah, that was that was uh, an interesting turn of events, and I never would have known without a, a friendly listener whose Twitter handle I uh, cannot remember or uh, I do not have in front of me. I'll try to uh, hunt them down before the end of this episode and give them a shout out. But um, I found it, and Athena Cuevas. I want to thank you very much at L the Nyo. <laughs> That's funny. Thanks so much for listening to the Gory Days, and thanks for uh, helping me remember Dylan McDermott's name. Ugh. Uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure to give you a shout out. And uh, don't forget, if you want me to talk to you from uh, my podcast, uh, be sure to tweet or comment on Instagram or, or Facebook or YouTube, like I said, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, and I'll be putting all of these episodes on YouTube very, very soon. Now we get to move on to kills, kills, kills. There were one, two, three. There were six kills this episode, but three of them were Mr. Jingles. So first off, we get Mary Kay, the Mary Kay salesperson, at least, who's stabbed in the chest by Bruce. Not the way I want to go. I have a feeling that she bled out and suffered in that trunk for a little while after he stabbed her in the chest like that. Oh, God. Although this is an 80s kill, just like Mr. Jingles can stab himself in the chest and die in seconds. Maybe she was killed instantly the moment the knife made contact with her skin. (laughs) Uh, Number two is uh, the first Mr. Jingles death of this episode, where he's hit by a car by Bruce and goes flying. And I think it's safe to say that that killed him by the way he's acting when he sees Jonas in a, a scene or two after that. Number three is Xavier, who's stabbed by Mr. Jingles over his own body. 
Number four is Mr. Jingles again, who's shot in the head by Margaret Booth in like that same scene. Number five is Stacy, the reporter for the National Enquirer, who's stabbed by Bruce and the Night Stalker at the same time. I wonder if that'll come up later of like, well, wait, are we splitting that kill? Whose kill was that? Because they're both counting and they're both counting against each other. So it makes sense for them to not want to help, but if they're competing. And the uh, final kill was Mr. Jingles again, who was stabbed by Xavier and the copycat Mr. Jingles before ultimately being drowned by Bobby in the lake. Which brings us to the final theory, I'm, uh, the, the final uh, segment of this episode, which is Theory Canal. Let's see if any of the theories or predictions I had from last few episodes came true. Besides the ones from before, if you want a rundown of how smart I am, I'm not going to read the ones, <laughs> the, the wrong predictions. I'll read the right ones, like that Brooke will kill Montana, that Mr. Jingles will die, but he would still live on, that they would jump forward in time. Uh, that something to turn that's uh, that the thing that'll turn this whole season on its head would be that they're all dead and reliving their deaths in a kind of loop, and that everyone Margaret Booth killed will at some point have a shot at taking her down. So those were some of my thoughts. I guess we still haven't learned the identity of Margaret Booth's husband who left her all this money. Maybe it'll come in the last episode. It'd be pretty great if they saved it. Uh, oh, also, I was right. We haven't seen the last of Bruce. Uh, but I guess I wasn't right in that Bobby's return would lift the curse of uh, Camp Redwood. Uh, who knows? My only real theory is uh, after a, it's kind of a throwaway line of Courtney's, uh, <laughs> remarkably enough. Courtney says, uh, how are you? Why are you? How are you so cold about this? Have you no empathy? And Margaret Booth kind of like, you know, has an eye flutter or something. And that makes me think that my theory is Mrs. Jingles didn't whisper her to be to kill the camp, the, the, the cabin in 1970. She whispered her empathy away in 1970 for the rest of her life. And that's why she's uh, like the way she is. She has no empathy. She whispered away the part of her brain that was making her an empathic person. Uh, the ability to to uh, put yourself in someone else's shoes and think, oh, what if that were happening to me? I don't want that to happen. I probably shouldn't inflict that on another person then. And that's it. That's 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 my recap. That's my review of American Horror Story uh, 1984, episode 8. Uh, if you are out there watching American Horror Story with me, then I'm sure you also cannot wait for next week, the finale. Uh, and I can finally stop doing this. But it seems like the response for these videos has been pretty great, or for these episodes has been pretty great. So I think I'll be making a pivot to doing horror TV shows. I should have started a little earlier with uh, Castle Rock uh, Season 2 on Hulu. But that sounds like a plan to me. In addition to uh, horror movies, horror TV shows could be a lot of fun. And that means extra content for all of you to comment on on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or right on my website at thegorydays.com. We've got guests' profiles on there and uh, art from the various movies that we've talked about. And soon enough, I'm going to have all of the American Horror Story episodes on there. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be putting them on YouTube, too. So uh, be looking out for that. In the meantime, be sure to let me know how, you, how you're liking the show. 
Uh, you have so many ways to contact me. You, there's really no excuse. If you have a thought and you think it's a, a nice thought, then you should share it with me on one of those. Uh, if you think it's a mean thought, then uh, maybe don't. Or do. I don't care. I'm just uh, hungry for uh, interaction. Uh, but um, it seems like some of the characters in this uh, show are hungry for blood. <laughs> that was, that was my, my uh, sad attempt at an exit segue. Uh, otherwise, until next time, stay scary out there. Have a gory day.